I see ghosts, y'all. I see ghosts. What happens uh, to all of us, man? Have you seen them too? Yeah. Huh? They had come to you at night. Huh? Storm and Nam comes to me down there every night. Now he talked to you like he talked to me. Come on. I don't think so. Come on. This up. Welcome back to the OCC. This is Jake. I'm really excited today. I get to cover our first serious major award contender for 2021, I think. And that is Spike Lee's new film, The Five Bloods. Here to break it down with me, spoilers and all, is Zoheb Ali from the Midnight Double Feature Podcast. Zoheb, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me, Jack, man. I really, really appreciate it. And I can't wait to talk about this movie with you, dude. Yeah, tell me first a little bit about the Midnight Double feature. Kind of what? Where does the name come from? I love the name. Okay, look, the the name is not something that I came up with. It's something that my co-host Colin came up with, and he's just like, he's just like, we were actually thinking of names, and he's just like, well, how about Midnight Double feature? And I was like, you know what? I don't know what it means, but it sounds cool, so let's just go with it. <laughs> and we went with it, and uh, we cover films um, like when we started. Um, we specifically would choose a movie and we'd work our, th- or our way through it. So we'd, you know, go from the start to, to the end, uh, break it down. Not not exactly scene by scene, but kind of like talk about, you know, meaningful Im- moments in the film and talk about our takes on it, you know, what they specifically mean to us. Um, you know, if it's a movie that we have quite a bit of reverence for, so for example, like Silence of the Lambs, we would spend a lot of time on it (laughs) i think that's a three-hour podcast from memory uh but yeah like that's what we would do we'd just kind of go through it explicate our way through it find the themes uh talk you know we 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 like to think that we're funny so we do some comedy (laughs) um and yeah um our other types of episodes are called upcoming attractions where um, another host matt and i get together and we talk about you know the the movies that are currently out, uh, we, I mean, you know, currently there's not that much, seeing as the cinemas are all closed. But uh, uh, we've been reviewing films on the on those episodes, you know, just like little tidbit reviews, and uh, we talk about you know the latest trailers, and it's kind of more of a sort of like a, a news sort of like episode, like you know, like little announcement and stuff that we gauge each other's uh, reactions on. So, uh, yeah, but um, other than that, man, that's that's been that double feature. You know, we've uh, we've been very lucky with our with our community on Facebook um, in in the in our group called the After Party. The three words, the After Party. Everyone likes to chip in and, and talk movies. So if you want to go ahead and join the After Party, we'd we'd love to have you. So yeah, yeah, I love that you guys cover trailers too. I'm a big trailer head. Oh, dude, I I'm a massive trailer nut. I, like, I mean, I would watch I would watch some of the best trailers of all time over and over again, man. I I, I like dissecting it. I like getting into what the director's going for um yeah absolutely well there have been some interesting films this year certainly some serious contenders in the below the line categories like documentary feature animated feature but i think it's fair to say that spike lee's new movie the five bloods just came out friday is really the first full-on oscar movie since the oscars and what a different world that was I would agree with you, man. Uh, honestly, like it's it's such a weird year, uh, 2020 um, for Oscars especially. 
because there's been quite frankly nothing right i mean like this time last year what we had hollywood right i mean uh, once upon a time in hollywood had come out so i mean at that at that point we'd already had a couple of of contenders um i mean and you know obviously the oscar season isn't usually around till october november december somewhere around there so it, it is quite a strange year the only thing that i can really think of that might be a contender but not really is the invisible man um that was really awesome but i just don't see what category that could be put under uh but yeah this is you're 100 right this is the first uh major contender and i i would be shocked if it doesn't get nominated yeah i i would too i mean the invisible man and and it all ultimately you know people were making jokes at the start of quarantine that best picture was going to be between sonic the hedgehog and <laughs> bad boys <laughs> for life three. or whatever <laughs> but in general you know movies like Never, rarely, sometimes, always, for example, or like there, there's a movie that not a lot of people have probably seen called 14 that came out this year that I think is a fantastic movie. I mean, I like I'd give it an Oscar, but nobody's seen it. Like it's it, it, it seems like really the first big high profile movie that was scheduled for this year was the Wes Anderson movie, The French Dispatch that got pushed back. And that's going to come out, I think, in October now. The Five Bloods, you know, everybody this was on people's radar, I think, for for the Oscars for 2021. But I think because of that, people were thinking, well, this will come out October, December, but then COVID hits. Everyone's at home watching a ton of content. And on May 7th, it's just like one month ago, Netflix comes out and says, they're going to pull this up and release it on June 12th. Now, even Netflix at the time, I don't think they could have foreseen some of the events of the past two, two weeks, global protests around racial injustice and, kind of where that puts us is you're seeing takes up and down that like, this is a movie made for this moment. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, man, it's, it's tough. Uh, Cause you know, this, this, I'm not going to lie. This movie snuck up on me. I had no idea that Spike Lee had a movie in development. I mean, you know, I was, I, I've, I've lost all perception of time. It feels like black Klansman was like yesterday. It really like, does. You know? Um, it, it honestly does. Um, so I had, I, again, I had no idea that Spike Lee actually had a movie in development. And then when the trailer for this dropped and it's like dropping in like two weeks and I was like, what? Really? That's, that's crazy. Oh, well, something like that. I don't know. I don't think it was two weeks, but it, it is a, it is a great time to be having a film like this. I think, um, you know, you've got studios who are making movies like this uh available for streaming for free right i mean like you had selma um and i think you had just mercy as well 20th century fox made just mercy available for streaming for free so um having a movie that is 100 percent in conversation with what's happening out there currently in the world right now drop on netflix is just a just a really really good move you know to to actually educate people on what's 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 happening and how you know african americans are, are feeling currently you know it's um it's it's a hell of a move to be honest yeah it's definitely the more content is always a good thing and i think for a long time you know spike lee has had a platform but many smaller less established black filmmakers haven't had a platform so it's it's obviously wonderful to see more and more voices enter the conversation the analysis that you know i, I think a lot of the critics are looking to put this film kind of in the context of everything that's going on. And I was thinking about do the right thing. It's my, my favorite Spike Lee, Lee movie. And I think it's sort of been come to see as sort of a seminal work. 
So that was put out 31 years ago, 1989. Wow. It's like four years younger than me. <laughs> and that film famously ends with, with Radio Rahim being killed by the police. And so if you, if you release that movie today, it would be quote-unquote made for this moment. And I think right. kind of the sad truth, I imagine, I, I shouldn't, I'm not going to try to invoke what Spike Lee would say, but it, it seems to me like the same dynamic that made Do the Right Thing made for that moment makes Five Bloods made for this moment. It actually is just something that's just persisted the entire time and before it. And sometimes events put it more or less in the public consciousness, but it's but it's always there. And so I kind of sat down like coming out of all this conversation about like this is the movie for right now to watch this movie and then it, it comes around and, and you know again this is going to be a spoiler conversation so if you haven't seen the movie I encourage you to go watch the movie it, it, it comes around to Black Lives Matter very explicitly at the end and you see Donald Trump in the movie so there's definitely nods to what's going on right now but it's also a story that I think stands alone kind of out of time. Well, with all, with every movie that I try and watch, I mean, I try and separate it from what's happening in reality. So I think, I think a good example of, of that was Todd Phillips's Joker film, right? I mean, Joker had a lot of uh, social commentary around it before its release. And at the time of its release, you know, it would, it would, it would delve into a lot of like mental health stuff, um, you know, and people t- would, People would argue about whether the actual movie itself would incite violence um, and things like that. And, you know, I, I watched that movie turning that part of my mind off. You know, like I was like, I'm not really going to focus on the conversations that people are having. I'm just going to enjoy this as a piece of entertainment made by Todd Phillips, starring Joaquin Phoenix. That is a DC uh, film adaptation. Um, and I'm just going to I'm just going to enjoy it. Um, you know, and, and I did. I goddamn love Joker. But with with the Five Bloods, I think it is a little different, where because Spike Lee is kind of intentionally, it feels like a couple of times he's trying to poke the bear. <laughs> um, as much as I, I, dude, I love this movie. By the way, like, I don't want to, I don't want to sugarcoat or anything. This movie was absolutely fantastic. But at one point, he literally calls uh, Donald Trump the. Who clocks clan member in the Oval Office, and I was like, "That is that is incendiary," <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, what did you What did you think about that? I think that might have been the most powerful moment in the movie for me. Yeah, Spike Lee is not somebody who's ever been been subtle. shy about yeah subtle yeah. or shy about his politics, and yeah, it, they also I think the first time that um, they show Trump at a rally, and he's I think his caption is like "President Fake Bone Spurs." <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's funny because that might have been one of the most powerful movies in the movie, it was moments in the movie for me. But if I look at Black Klansman, yeah. the last five minutes of Black Klansman are the weakest part of the movie for me. I, I don't think the last five minutes of that movie fits as, as a whole, you know, as part of that story as a whole. So I, I, don't, I think it's a, it's a bit too much to to be adding the you know the archive footage in there and stuff like that whereas in this movie I feel like it's it's very much more fitting you know that's really that's a really interesting perspective because obviously we, everybody you know watches watches stuff and and has their own experience and like I actually like 
was really moved by the end of Black Klansman where, because I, I think like, you know, going back to Black Klansman, it kind of, it tells a really compelling story and then it starts to get to the end and it's like wrapping up really tidily. You have like kind of all the bad guys die, like the the racist cop, they kind of bust him. And I'm like, you know, I guess the cynic in me watching that movie is like, oh, great. They just solved racism. Like, that's pretty convenient. And then all of a sudden <laughs> it turns on a dime and they're, you know, they bring you right back to like, you know, all this kind of in perpetuity is still happening. And I think that here, I, I think you sort of, I, that's sort of the theme, I guess, that seems to connect all these movies, which is, is that you can take them out of whatever the news of the day is. And there's never really been movement. There's been ups and downs, but there's just this systemic perpetual problem. And I feel like, so that's kind of, I, I think kind of connects that movie with this movie but but i actually i did I, that did work on me the the end of black Klansman. that's interesting yeah because the the friend that i watched it with we actually kind of both I, I don't know we both kind of like left with a a little bit of a feeling you know like i mean although you know spike lee is definitely trying to make you feel that you know what's going on out in the world like you know what the movie that you just watched in black Klansman for the last two hours um, you know, it was it was a funny, dark, entertaining story, but it was still very much rooted in 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 history and what's going on out there currently. Um, and then, you know, the last five minutes of it like really hits at home. Um, I, I just think, you know, as a as a film, as as a story, it it it, it seems to kind of like stick out a little bit. Um, but we walked out of it completely feeling how Spike Lee wanted us to feel. You know? Sure. Well, I guess. We'll start broad then. We'll get into the movie. What was your overall reaction to this movie? It sounds like you liked it. Oh, I love this movie. <laughs> this is this this was this is such a um such an experience. Like you know when you sit down to watch this movie, you, you press play and you're just like, All right, I am watching something that's that's important, you know, and not just for the current time period that we live in, but just the story that Spike Lee is trying to tell, just what he's um what is how he's able to edit this movie as well um like through the editing as well the, the the story comes out very you know super strong you know um the way he uses uh, archive footage to actually open the film uh the atrocities in vietnam war uh, and the way he's able to you know whenever characters would talk about someone like a, an actual historical figure he just put it like he just imposed a photo of them like you know it it it, it seems it seems very like like genuine and it seems like it seems like there is a, a someone behind the camera with a voice who really wants to make their voice heard um and honestly like i i, I really enjoy the the camaraderie between each of the characters between each of the bloods uh you you feel like that these guys have been friends for years did you get that feeling at all absolutely i mean i think like one of the, my favorite moment in the movie that kind of just establishes it up front is like they go so i i guess i should just say i mean i i assume most people listening to this would have watched the movie first because because we're gonna Hopefully. talk about spoilers <laughs> but you know for for anyone who did who didn't or maybe doesn't plan to it, it, the the film follows four veterans of the vietnam war who have come back to vietnam to both find the remains of their squad leader who who died during the war and bring them back to um 
the United States and then also to find a treasure that they had buried during the war um, and, and use that. There's some discussion about how to use that, um, whether it's kind of for personal gain or whether it's for kind of black causes. But that, that's the basic premise of the movie. And in the, there's, there's a lot of nods to a lot of other Vietnam War depictions in popular culture and in in like one of the first scenes they go to a club that is actually called apocalypse now i think is the name right. of the club <laughs> and they just do this dance where they're all like have their drinks and they're like shimmying around and like you just as the movie goes on it goes in a lot of directions and a lot of stuff happens but like just that initial way that they establish it you're like all right these guys are friends these guys go back um, I, I thought that was a great kind of like intro to, to these guys' relationships. No, absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. They, they, they feel like you've, it feels like you've, your, your experience, you're, you're kind of like a fly on the wall, you know, the way they banter between each other. Um, I just want to, I just really, really want to shout out these, these actors, man. Uh, Delroy Lindo is a powerhouse in this film, I think. Uh, this might be one of the best roles I've ever seen him in. Jonathan Myers, uh, Major, sorry, Clark Peters, Norm Lewis, and Isaiah Whitlock Jr. Um, of course, Clark, Pe- Clark Peters and Isaiah Whitlock Jr. were both from uh, The Wire, if you're familiar with The Wire, HBO's yeah. show. Both of them did a great job in that show, especially Clark Peters. Also, another cast member that's in this that I was really surprised to see pop up uh, was Jean Renault. <laughs> John Renault is in this movie, and he doesn't look like the John Renault that we've come to know and love. He's put on a little bit of a uh, little bit of weight. I mean, but you know, whatever, that's fine. Uh, but he's still John Renault. You know, he's able to put, um, you know, spurt out his line like in that really awesome French accent that I that we that we that we know that John Renault loves to do. But yeah, like this is this feels like a personal journey that they're on. You know, when you have uh, Vietnam vets return to Vietnam where they witness the atrocities and witness the war, you've already kind of got a very deep and personal story that this could branch out on. But then once you start bringing in the, the, the racial issues and the race relations stuff, like, for example, how um, a, a great... Uh, a great number what was it the the percentage was it like 35 percent of yeah. um the vietnam war u.s forces were black was that the number something like that yeah when you hear that statistic and and you know you compare it to only 11 percent of american citizens are black then it's just like well well we are although we're the tip of the spear here in vietnam we, we we're just kind of like sent in because I guess no one no one else wants to do it, right? We're the lapdogs, and Spike Lee just makes that known. You know, it it seems it seems like a very personal journey that Spike Lee wants us to go on, and I'm on it. Honestly, I'm I'm on I'm on the story 100%. I, I apologize if my thoughts on it sound a bit scattered because it's such a like the movie came out two days ago, and I think I'm still trying to piece together my my thoughts on it I'm, I'm trying i'm still trying to find a way to enunciate and eloquate my thoughts on it because i've got so many thoughts on this movie and uh, podcasting wise i'm sure they don't sound great <laughs> uh so it's, it's all kind of like word vomit i empathize it's i mean it's it's a rich text for sure i watch a lot of movies and and like sometimes i'll be like i 
that movie is okay. Or sometimes I'll be like, I love that movie. I hate that movie. This movie, you watch it and like, you need more time to like feel, or, or at least I was like, right. I, I need to process the movie. There's a lot of movie in this movie. A lot of movie. I mean, it's two and a half hours and there's a lot going on. No, exactly. And, and you know, when we scheduled this podcast, um, I was like, well, is, is Five Bloods going to be out by then? And then you were like, yeah, it's it's out on, on the Friday. And I was like, okay, cool. And usually, you know, having having a movie, like watching a movie and then having it sit for two days is more than enough for me. I'm fine with that. But this movie, again, there's just so much that you can chew on. And I'm still chewing. Yeah. I am too. I, I struggle honestly to give any kind of qualitative evaluation of the movie because, like, and this is going to sound really like I'm trying to be like sacrosanct or something. I'm not, but like, I don't feel in a position to critique Spike Lee's work, right? Like, it's not a cop out. Like, I know because then you'd be like, why do you even have a movie podcast? But like, I, I have this experience with like certain directors, I guess, where like, especially like Spike here, he's talking about the black experience, which I can't credibly know about so like it's almost like if i was like in an astrophysics class you know what i mean and it's like i'm not even thinking about like critiquing the professor i'm just listening you know and so that sort of was my experience with this movie it's like i didn't really have a real critical eye on it i was just like absorbing it i'm like yeah i'm in spike lee's hands it's gonna be fine you know like if i like if i'm watching a movie from an unknown filmmaker you know there's no there's no goodwill built up you know, whereas like Spike Lee broadly, I'd say is probably one of the filmmakers whose work I most enjoy. Like Do the Right Thing, I think is one of the five or 10 best movies ever made. Um, and not just like academically, like I actually just like really also really like watching it. You know, it, you mentioned Inside Man. He Got Game is a movie that I love. Chirac is a really interesting movie, I think. I, I just like being inside those movies. This movie is tough to watch like i think it's and that's where i that's why kind of coming back around why i struggle to analyze it because it's like it's really engaging i can say objectively it's really well made the acting's remarkable we'll talk we'll get into kind of what works the best in this movie but i don't it's ultimately violent and it's really sad and i and i didn't necessarily like feel good coming out of it like the way that even you feel hopeful coming out of like he got game. I don't know that that. So, so anyway, that's a really long winded way to say, like, I, I feel what you're saying. Like, it's hard to just watch this movie, walk out of it and immediately like sum up your thoughts succinctly. Cause it's, cause there's a lot to grapple with. Absolutely. What, what are the things to you that, that worked best in this movie? All right. Everyone's I've seen for the last couple of days, everyone's already praising Del, Delroy Lindo, yeah. right? I mean, Delroy Lindo is absolutely fantastic in this film, I think. Uh, I think he is one of the best qualities of this film by far. Um, just the way he's able to, in his face, uh, he's, got, he like, he's able to make his wrinkles act. Like He's got a lot of wrinkles in his face that can act so frustrated. Like Honestly, one of my favorite scenes in this entire movie is just this moment where they're on the boat and you know this 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 vendor on a on a on another boat approaches him and offers him some snake right and you know you, you see Delroy's character whose name is Paul 
And Paul's like, no, no, just go away, please. Like, just go away. And, like, he's nice at first. And then, you know, the guy's just, like, very, very insistent. And you can see Paul getting more and more frustrated. Although he's wearing glasses in that in that particular scene, you don't need to see his eyes to know that he's about to explode. Like, you know, he's, like, he's about to, he's about to blow up at this, at this vendor. Um, and just the, like, Delroy Lindo, he's, the, the way he's able to portray the PTSD element of it and the way he's able to let that PTSD end up controlling him, the way he's able to um, unfortunately sideline his son because he's just he just lacks the focus, um, it's just fantastic. I, th- I think Delroy Lindo did an absolutely fantastic job in this film. Delroy Lindo, obviously it's... It's June. It's really early. There's Gary Oldman has a movie coming out. Adam Driver has a movie coming out. I don't care. Delroy <laughs> Lindo, I would say heavy, heavy, heavy favorite right now Absolutely. for an acting nomination. Regardless of what else comes out, I'm just going to be surprised if he's not 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 nominated. Just given, I mean, it's a it's a exceptional performance, and then it's being received as such. Um, so he he's compelling i mean you just can't look away whenever he's on the screen you know i don't want to take anything away from the other the other guys the other the other cast members because they also do a great job um especially clark peters right clark peters plays uh otis otis the medic um otis is fantastic in this movie uh you know he's got the relationship between um i'm gonna i'm gonna mess up his, her name tian right tian's the the the, mm. the name of, of the the Vietnam, Vietnamese woman that he slept with uh, back when he was uh, doing his tour in Vietnam and come to find out that he's got a daughter that Tan has kept secret. One of the subtly just astounding moments in this movie, I thought, was when he realizes he has a daughter. And it's like probably a two or three minute sequence where he's like barely talking and you just see his wheels turning inside his head and he's like, He's kind of absorbing this. Pointing to himself. Yeah. yeah. It's it really remarkable. There's a lot. The the acting, I think, is the best thing about this movie, for sure. That that whole arc is fantastic. It's a very well-written story, actually. You know, the, the everyone everyone has a great moment to shine. The the whole aspect of, you know, we're going back for this gold and we're, we're, we're not going to, you know, initially we're going to give it back to the black cause in the black community but you know once they get there and they're like well hold on i want to hold on to this you know you can take it out of your share and they start squabbling and uh tian has that one moment in the film when she hands otis a a gun and she says gold makes everyone go crazy you know it does things to the mind and you know we, we see that when they get down there i think the cinematography in this in this movie is absolutely astounding you know we I believe I'm not sure. I, I want to, I want to double check, but I believe the Vietnam flashback sequences were filmed in actual film, mm-hmm. right? It's got that really grainy quality to it, and you know, obviously the aspect ratio changes, which is really slick uh, that Spike Lee is able to do there. And then you know, once we actually go back to the modern era, um, it, it looks it looks like he shot it digitally um, and then you've got that wide 16 by 9 aspect ratio it looks looks absolutely fantastic 
the, the cinematography as they're making their way down the river just looks absolutely beautiful. So I really want to commend that. So I do want to talk about uh, the aspect ratios changing and the time jumps. Because um, I did, I liked this a lot. I loved the way he handled that. Um, but probably the main, or one of the main discussion points that have come out of this movie is the fact that he doesn't use any form of de-aging technology when it comes to the flashbacks. So you have these same actors who are like in their 60s or 70s um, in the present day and in Vietnam, and they're the same actor. And they're, they're alongside of Chadwick Boseman, who's obviously a lot younger, and he's playing a character in the 70s. How, how did you feel about that choice? Look, I, uh, I can see why Spike did it, right? I mean, and look, this is... Um, this is a Netflix original. Is this a Netflix original or is yeah. it just distri- distributed? Yeah, okay. it's an original. Okay, so we know how Netflix feel about de aging, right? I mean, they're all for it. We've seen The Irishman. I-, I can go one way or the other. I wasn't. I'm not really. I don't really get lost in the weeds about this kind of stuff. You know, I mean, it doesn't really break the immersion for me. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty good at looking past that kind of stuff. I can see why he didn't go for the uh, de-aging stuff. I, I guess he didn't want it to be too distracting or whatever. But, I mean, look, the even in the flashbacks, these the characters, they, they don't feature that prominently, right? I mean, like I think there's only like two flashbacks where they're kind of not in combat, right? Like they're just kind of like, uh, you know, they're talking about the death of Martin Luther King. Um and then I think there might be another one, but the other ones, they're like they're just in the heat of combat, so you really, you barely see their faces at all, if anything, right? Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, I, I think the scene that maybe it was the most confusing to me, and I, I think, as far as this choice went, I think there was a couple things. Like, so one is I think they didn't have the budget to do de aging. Like, I think just right, right, practically right, right. speaking. But I also. You know, the whole story is about how this war has kind of fundamentally shaped and, and in some cases, like Paul's case, kind of ruined these people. And they're, they've never moved on from it. And so I think that kind of the, I think there's a reading where they're, you know, using the same actors from the past Connect- to now. Is, yeah, it's yeah. Like they kind of continue to project themselves into these, the war. And then I've also read an interpretation that it's sort of representing and Spike Lee kind of shows throughout the movie like that it wasn't just the Vietnam War where Americans used black soldiers um, while not taking care of them at home. He, I think he shows a scene from, was that the Civil War, like the Revolutionary War or something, where it's kind of a quick drawing, but then he shows the actual picture of the soldier who was killed to kind of humanize him. Do you remember that part? Right, right. Yeah, no, I do. I, I think it was from the Revolutionary War. Um, I think the the scene where I got the most confused, I guess, before like, it took me a little while to understand because, like, using the change in the in the aspect ratio and the and the color saturation is like a very clear cue for when they're moving back and forth. And so when they were on that riverboat, and it was they're sort of weaving in and out just on that one scene with the guy shooting the whole movies and kind of going back past right. to present, I got really confused for a second. Oh, I see what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, I see what's happening here. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. I, I was like, wait, the aspect ratio has changed. It's all colorful, so this is supposed to be the 70s, but he's still old. <laughs> but I think, that, I think that this is where kind of a second watch of this movie 
will in some ways be kind of clarifying because once you kind of wrap your head around the approach, then I think it then I think it works. See, it's it's subtly it's subtly different because when the aspect ratio changes for the flashbacks, the the borders on the left and the right they smoothly kind of like um, start to start to move in. Whereas when they're on the boat and like, you know, the guy's filming with um, the camera, it's, it's more of like a hard cut to that aspect ratio. That makes sense. It does. But so do you, do you, did you read that as kind of interspersed? Cause I, I guess I read it as interspersing their memories with the current moment. So, so like I did think that there was supposed oh, to be some jumping. That's a good read. In. Yeah. That's a good read on it. I, I, I didn't know, but I mean, I I think you're a hundred percent correct. I think the movie will um, will take on a different meaning, if anything, on a second on a second watch. Um, the score in the movie is really rousing. Uh, it reminded me very much of of, of Black Klansman score, but Black Black Klansman score was a bit more bombastic. This score, while it's still very much in pretty much every scene, it's a little more subdued. As I'm just I'm just talking as compared to Black Klansman because Black Klansman's score was just so bombastic and really really epic. Terrence Blanchard, who did uh, Black Klansman and also did did this movie, I think we've been kind of spoiled by it. Eventually, we've come to expect it. He wor- they work together a lot, but he's he's truly one of the great living film composers. He crushes it. It kind of reminded me. I don't know if you ever saw Beasts of the Southern Wild. I have. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of that score. That, that yeah. That did, yeah, absolutely. It's a lot of movie for sure. I think we said that, and, and it tries to do a lot. So getting it all in kind of the first reading is tough. I guess is there anything with this movie that that you struggled with, or was it all was it tens across the board? Um, it it wasn't tens across the board. I did, I did find it at some points to be a little less focused than I guess Black Klansman, and you know when you watch a movie. A movie from any director of you know Spike Lee's caliber. You know, if you're watching a Nolan film, if you're watching a Tarantino film, or a, or a Fincher film, you are in your mind uh, somewhat comparing it to their other films. If that makes sense. So, yeah. I mean, like, did you did you watch this with like you know with Black Klansman in mind, or do the right thing in mind? Like, I, I feel like it's hard to um, hard to separate them, right? Yeah, I think naturally yeah. you have those reference points. So, I mean, like when I'm watching this, I'm I'm thinking of Black Klansman as well because again, Black Klansman feels like it just came out yesterday. You know, I, I have no idea how Spike Lee was able to make this 45 million dollar movie so quickly. But anyway, it, it was it was hard to to not compare it to Black Klansman when they're so thematically similar. I, I think I think this being a two and a half hour movie there are moments in it when it kind of like we're we're not we're not focusing enough on what we're trying to tell you know like it, it seems like it starts to divert in different directions and i'm just like i don't know i feel like maybe we can start getting on track a little bit i don't have a specific example it's tough it, it's tough for me to give an example did you feel like it was like a a, a super focused movie with, or like in relation to the themes that he's trying to tell it's not I, no. It's not focused. I wouldn't call it a super focused movie. Um, at, at two and a half hours, I think he changes directions a lot, and that's been a complaint. I mean, there's definitely been like 
kind of a subset of the critical response to this movie that says like, you know, this is Netflix and they don't require these people to have editors and it needed an editor. Um, I didn't, I, I guess for me, like, again, I just felt like I was in Spike Lee's hands. Like I kind of, he's almost a genre to himself. And so like, as he's doing all this weird stuff that wouldn't work for most directors, like, as he's going from like PS PTSD drama to like action movie, like I kind of just was along for the ride because I kind of already trusted. Right. Right. Spike Lee. I was, if I don't, I was a hundred percent in for the ride. Like, I mean, like as I was watching it at no point was I bored or anything like that. You know, I think I actually think, uh, this this movie features one of my favorite scenes of the year like uh the, the scene where his son steps on the landmine and they all kind of like need to band yeah. together to, to to get him out of it that i mean i haven't seen tension like that in a movie for a while you know it, it's a remarkably tense movie it's like a painfully tense movie i'd say at parts like that scene i think yeah i i totally agree that was i i think probably the best scene in the movie for me I also just think that once Paul goes off on his own, you kind of think nothing good is going to happen, but it's pretty dragged out. And he's, he's actually like speaking, uh, like breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. Breaking the fourth wall, speaking like Bible text. And and it just, and it's like, I, I just thought that whole stretch was so effective and like, pulse pounding and really just really well done i'm wondering if lee let um delroy lindo kind of improvise a little bit a a little bit a little bit of it felt like improvised yeah but like really well you know yeah i agree um i i think the one place where it got it didn't it didn't get it wasn't that it was too unwieldy for me but you know there's a lot of conversation at the beginning like where they're sort of criticizing movies like Rambo. Like I think the characters are talking to each other and basically saying like Hollywood was going off trying to win the Vietnam war through these like silly action movies. I do think there's an argument that the second, like the kind of the end, this kind of conventional, you know, the French actor betrays them to get the gold. And then there's a shootout with the Vietnamese people. And like, it sort of is a little bit of that Holly weird, setup that spike is criticizing earlier in the movie <laughs> so it, it's kind of got that sort of like uh conversation that scream does right like you know west craven scream where you know they're trying to comment on <laughs> on the actual genre while at the same time being the genre right? yeah i think that's a, i think that's what it is and like I, I think that's exactly what it is he does i mean if you think about the ending of black Klansman, not the end with like the current footage but like just how the story wraps up where like they bomb themselves and like it's right. all kind of silly and farcical and i think like Chirac is probably the biggest example of this where it's just outright like absurd and so i think that spike lee is kind of okay with that like i think he knows he's doing that and he doesn't mind on purpose yeah absolutely um, just, just quickly, did you, did you know who was originally supposed to direct this film? I know who was supposed to write it. I, I don't okay. know who was supposed to direct it. I'm very interested to hear. Well, it, it might've been a, an entirely different movie. And considering that he's directed one of the best, uh, Vietnam films of all time, Oliver Stone was originally supposed to direct this film. Wow. I, that's, that's really interesting. I know that before... 
I'm guessing before that, unless it was going to be the same one, this this was going to be written by the. Do you remember the movie The Rocketeer? It was like a Disney oh, movie from the yeah, 90s. Yeah, Joe Johnson's film. Yeah, yeah. So the guy that wrote The Rocketeer was going to write this movie. And it was going to basically be like an action adventure movie about a group of veterans searching for gold in the jungle, kind of like Indiana Jones or something. And then Spike Lee and Kevin Wilmot got together and turned it, you know, they made all the characters African-American. They turned it into like the movie that it is today. Oliver Stone is really interesting where he would fit it kind of in the middle of that. Right. Um, and apparently it was supposed to, like the casting was, they were looking at Sam Jackson, Giancarlo Esposito and Don Cheadle. Those are strong leads. Wow. It is, but it kind of, I liked this. I liked the way that, Oh, I love this as well, man. I, I, I can't see anyone else in these roles. Um, you know, like the the, they again, they seem so genuine. They seem to have such great chemistry. You you get the vibe that they've done tours together. You know, they've seen some horrific stuff before together as a unit. Um, and they and you you get the sense that you know the other guys actually really care about Paul's mental state. You know. Yeah, they do, and and. Of course, like the primary message here was is probably a racial message, but beneath that, there's a lot else, and I do think that that kind of like band of brothers, sort of they they've gone through this experience together, but it does show also sort of like the fallacy of the idea in some way of this like kind of unbreakable eternal brotherhood as like because they all have left the war and like Norm Lewis who plays Eddie left and he appears to have all this money, but he's totally broke. You have Delroy Lindo um, as Paul, who's suffering from PTSD. Otis even is sort of like the most stable, perhaps, but he's addicted to OxyContin. So it like they're all sort of burdened by these experiences. And as they come back together, you know, they kind of initially are all, you know, happy to be back together. And, and you kind of see that camaraderie. But as they go, they're all sort of haunted by their own demons sort of individually. And being together doesn't really doesn't really help that or, or fix it. No, I, I 100% agree. I, I do love that Spike and, and his writing partner wrote these characters to be so, so real, you know? Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, it's a rich text for sure. There's a lot going on. Um, I think my one other, I guess my only other complaint with the movie, and it's not really a complaint, but you have a few really good actors. I feel like it's, you know, Delroy Lindo and... Clark Peters and Jonathan Majors are so good that they almost chew up the scenery. And like you have a few actors like Paul Walter Hauser. He gave one of the best performances of the year last year in Richard Richard Jewell. Jewell. He barely registered like that. He could have been anyone. You know what I mean? Like that you didn't need to have Paul Walter Hauser for that role because he doesn't get to do much. Norm Lewis doesn't really get enough to do relative to the other three bloods. It's a minor complaint, but I feel like that was maybe the one thing that that sort of I would yeah like a balancing thing yeah it might have i mean look paul walter hauser he might have just been around or something <laughs> yeah. you know or, or spike just might you know like like working with him you know considering he was in black Klansman as well yeah that, i think that's probably true um just quickly uh what what categories of the oscars do you think this might be nominated for i mean like i know we've got the acting ones down and possibly the directing do you think this I mean, I think it gets nominated for Best Picture, but do you think anything else? So I definitely think it's it's a favorite to be nominated for Best Picture. Um, I think that I think Delroy Lindo is probably, if I had to put my money on one, 
one category would be him in actor. Terrence Blanchard's usually a pretty safe bet in in score, uh, for for original score. He's working. You mentioned the cinematography. He's working with uh, a new cin- cinematographer on this one. Yeah, Newton Thomas Siegel. He's he's been the cinematographer for quite a few good films. I mean, he did Drive for Nicholas Winding Refn. He did the uh, the action film Extraction earlier this year, which I thought had really really good cinematography. Uh, but yeah, he's he's done some good work. Yeah, and he hadn't worked with them in the past. I think that's going to be an interesting one because you know it's a big war movie. It's kind of what you would normally think of for cinematography, but it's released onto your home television. You know, and I think that that kind of changes right, right, right. the calculus there. Um, but I think that yeah, I think this is one that you'll see kind of up and down the categories. What'll be kind of interesting to see is like normally. You know, you think about like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood it was like universally loved and nominated for almost everything. But it came out in the summer and no, it didn't. It, it was forgotten. It about. was forgotten about. Like, I feel like well, typically well, they're relatively. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was like it was nominated, but I, I feel like it's a lot of the, the times those summer releases, they maybe get nominated, but it's hard to actually win. So that's I'm curious to see kind of how that plays into it as the year goes on. So, Bob, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on and, and talk it through with me. Thank you so much, man. Honestly, this is this has been this has been great. Um, I think I'll be looking at this film more closely for the next few weeks. You know, we'll probably be reviewing this on our next episode of, of Midnight Double Feature because I do want to watch it again and I do want to take in um, certain like other things that I know Spike's trying to tell us, but I just I just haven't been able to. Do it.